All right. As the kids head out, you can head out now. I want to go back to some lyrics of these songs because uh, a couple trigger words. Uh, where is it here? Here we go. The wrath of God was satisfied. So we have come to learn that God didn't pulverize Jesus uh, and get his venting out. Okay? But when you look at the word wrath, the word wrath means any intense emotion. The love of God is the greatest intense emotion. So if you translate, see that word as love, this shows you your lens of how you view the Trinity and view how you view what happened at the cross. So the idea that, you know, the wrath was satisfied, the love was poured out. That's, keep the words. There are sometimes there's ways to redeem these, but your lens, and I just don't want anyone to think we're purporting a, a theology that makes God an angry, ticked-off being that we better tiptoe around. So that word can be pretty triggering. And then the second song, um, you were forsaken. But we may have heard that it was God who did the forsaking. He didn't forsake Jesus. Mankind forsake Jesus. Oh, yeah. Very different. So the word's still true, just who. So how you associate the meaning of those words matters. So I just thought it was really cool. I, th- I thought I was thinking of that as the songs were going. It goes, hey, okay. Anyway, hope that's okay. All right. Let's say hello to some folks. We've got uh, Dan and Alan. Good morning. You're the first ones to say hello this morning. Uh, um, we've got Ken and Francis. Uh, good morning. Happy May Day. Yep. And may the fourth be with you is coming soon. <laughs> for those that love that. Okay, and then we have uh, Brenda and John. Good morning from Kitchener. And then we have Paul and Debbie down in Chatham joining in. Good morning. Ron and Sharon, good morning to you guys. Great seeing you online. Howard in Sorrento, BC. Uh, Sandy Prince in Ellicott City, Maryland. Uh, but I think she's from the UK, so, but she's visiting. That's, I'm, I'm guessing now. I'm pretty sure, though. Nancy, Premier, down in London. Um, good morning to you, Debbie and Jerry. Good morning. Glad you're there. Her, hope you saw your names up there earlier. Wayne and Becky, relaxing in Waterloo. Good morning to you guys. Wayne and Jackie, good morning. Nancy, good to see you there. And Jean, hey, good morning. Good to see you. Haven't seen you for a little while. And then James and Trudy, good morning. Uh, hopefully, James, you noticed the, the tweaking. And by the way, thank you for the advice. When you guys text and message me about hiccups, um, I may not be able to see it right away, but we, it helps us know what's going on. So I value it. You're not bugging me, and I, I, I really value that. Uh, if it's your internet, too bad. Uh, anyway, um, Brian, a good morning in Wellesley, and Francis saying thank you for the shout-out. Rod and Gail, good morning. And Victoria, good morning. I'm so glad you took time to join. Sandy, yeah, she's on vacation. Ha <laughs> ha, thought so. Very good. We have another person in the UK watching uh, afterwards. Um, so I heard about that yesterday. That was pretty cool. All right, others-centered love. We started last week with just a mini visit on this topic that I think is critical. I think what we're discussing now is the foundation for how we perceive God. Everyone lives their lives based on their concept of who they think God is. Everyone. If he doesn't exist, they live like it. If he's an angry God, they live like it. Usually they're angry too. But that's, that's how it works. If you see God as all loving and, and full of mercy and grace and tenderness and compassion, you're going to start to live like it more and more. 
It's a beautiful picture. So I'm going to do a small recap just, just to touch on some things after I read this devotion from Henry Nouwen. Um, this is really, really good. Trust unreservedly that you are loved. Many people have a hard time believing they are loved. One, they don't feel loved. Two, they can't forgive themselves. There's a whole bunch of reasons, but this might speak to you. The word faith is often understood as accepting something you can't understand. And people will often say, such and such can't be explained. You just simply have to believe it. How many times have we heard that? Right? No? I have. Fine, I'm the only one. A couple heads nodding. Come on, engage with me here. Um, uh, However, when Jesus talks about faith, he means, first of all, to trust unreservedly that you are loved so that you can abandon every false way of obtaining love. That's why Jesus tells Nicodemus that through faith in the descending love of God, we will be set free from anxiety and violence and will find eternal life. It's a question here of trusting in God's love. The Greek word for faith is pistis, which literally means trust. Do you know that? Faith, trust, same word. That could change how you read some of those words. Whenever Jesus says to people, he has healed, your faith has saved you, he is saying that they have found new life because they have surrendered in complete trust to the love of God revealed in him. Remember that verse in Romans that says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth, angels, demons, neither the powers of hell. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Pause. That is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. There's separation's an illusion. And when you feel separated, and perhaps, perhaps some of your circumstances are screaming messages of separation to you through people not acting lovingly. Just because those examples are bad, it does not mean God has abandoned you. God doesn't do abandonment, ever. Humans do. And then we do course corrections all the time, don't we? (laughs) So this others-centered love, what is it? What does it look like? How can we recognize it? Here's the recap. We looked at 1 John 4, 16 to 19 last week. God is love, not has love. It's not an app. It's not an attribute, which we learned in Bible college. You know, somebody I spoke to yesterday in a group I was in, um, they were taught that God is like a wheel with tons of spokes. Love's one of the spokes. His wrath is a spoke. Uh, justice is, and you, you take too many out, and suddenly the wheel falls apart, and it's like, wait a minute. There's only a few God is, is's in the Bible that are blunt. You can, you can, depends which translation you have, but the three that I found to be declaring the glory of God is God is love, God is light, and God is life. Those are the three. When you begin to ponder that, what does that mean for you? Number one, you're one with Christ, so you are, you actually are love as well. <laughs> it, it's not absent from you, even though you may have trauma that's making it hard for you to love and feel loved and believe loved. Who knows? 
But the truth is, you're one with the one who is. Well, it reminds me of Star Wars. I'm one with the one. I'm one with the false. The false is one with me. Remember that scene? It's like, I just can't forget that one. <laughs> Sorry, Star Wars. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This whole idea of fear. If we're full of anxiety, thinking that God may not want us or we've really overstepped things, when fear shows up, it's evidence that's not the Spirit of God speaking to you. Fear is a, should be a trigger to you to say, ah, wait a minute, that's not the voice of God. And in my family, my mother loved to scare the hell out of me. Oh yeah, she threatened me like you wouldn't believe, you know, you're going to go to hell, you know. Yeah, it was, she, that was her, um, how can I say this carefully? Um, she spoke from her level of light revelation. That's what she spoke from. That's all she knew. And to look back now, after, without explaining the, all the different parts of the journey, I have a different understanding today and a different compassion that I never had before. And that's only in the last couple of years that that's hit. But when she spoke darkness into me, there was still light in me. The light of Christ. I always loved Jesus. I didn't understand him all the time. Don't understand God. Don't understand Trinity. But I've always loved Jesus. That's been the constant. So Elizabeth says, I just love the Lord. I love Jesus. Yes, just Jesus. There, we're done our theology class. <laughs> really. When things get too scrambled and you're trying to process theology and understand stuff, maybe we should just stop and just be loved. We love because he first loved us. We don't love because God tells us you must love him back. That's not how it works. You don't tell your children, you must love me back. That's ridiculous. <laughs> we love in response. I like what Paul Anderson Walsh said uh, many years ago. You know, when it says it's our responsibility uh, to love, that's what the church tends to say as a phrase in, in our churchy world. Um, but he broke it down and said, it's our ability to response. Responsibility, which is very different than that chore put onto you out of guilt and shame. That's the relationship we're pursuing. Psalm 145, the Lord's merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He's not quick to get angry and you're ready to trip him off and look out, he's got his gun ready and it's already cocked. No. He's slow. And then Romans 2.4, do not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Not an angry preacher yelling you're going to hell. That doesn't draw anybody convincingly to Christ. I'm sorry. That's actually not love. That's manipulation and fear-mongering. That's my personal opinion. Sorry. We talked about the words of love and from the Greek. We talked about eros, phileia, storge, agape, ludus, pragma, philatuia, uh, whatever the word is. Um, but agape was the key word, which is others-centered love which is where we get love is patient, love is kind from. That word there is agape. Sort of recap. So last time I read to you, and I want to read one more translation to you today because I, I didn't have time last week, and sometimes if you read it three or four times from different translations, it, it gets long. But I want to read to you from the Passion Translation 
1 Corinthians 13. The wording is just a bit different. Maybe you'll sit up and listen. It's like uh, hearing Psalm 23, which we're going to touch today, uh, from a translation you don't normally hear. And it sounds different. You sit up and listen. It just, something turns on. So let's take a look at this, because we looked at two different versions last week. If I were to speak with eloquence in earth's many languages and in the heavenly tongues of angels, yet I didn't express myself with love, my words would be reduced to the hollow sound of nothing more than a clanging cymbal. And if I were to have the gift of prophecy with a profound understanding of God's hidden secrets, and if I possessed unending supernatural power, and if I had the greatest gift of faith, so I can say to that mountain and move it, but never learned to love, then I am nothing. And if I were to be so generous as to give away everything I owned, to feed the poor, to offer my body, to be burned as a martyr, without the pure motive of love, I would gain nothing of value. Agape, love, is large and incredibly patient. Agape, love, is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when, blessings, when blessing comes to someone else. Ooh, ouch. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance or self-promotion. <laughs> Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love, agape, is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Pause there for a second. That's usually read in weddings. And I don't know if you've been to enough weddings. Usually it said, here's the list of to-do couples need to do. To, if you say you love each other, you've got to do this list. That's impossible. <laughs> it just is. It's not the to-do list for marriages or relationships. It's the get-to. It's the get-to list. I get to. And how? By the source of Christ in us. If you say you love someone, this is speaking to me too. If you say you love someone, this is what love looks like. Real, intense love looks like that. You don't tell somebody, yeah, but you said you love me and use it as a manipulation. You can't, that's, that is not love. That's the opposite. It's just awful. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops loving. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy which eventually fades away. 
It is more enduring than tongues, which will one day fall silent. Love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. I find it interesting that this idea of tongues, knowledge, and prophecy are the greatest pursued themes in what I call the Western Christian church for those who are trying to get a hold of God, so they pursue these things. And they're missing the mark because love is the one. Love should be the goal. All the rest will flow out of it. But when you tackle just one or two, or if you want to be really proud, and I got all three, you're no longer loving. You're useless. You think you're good. Your ego's being fed. Oh, is it ever? But true love is never self-seeking. True agape is always others-centered. Have I perfected this? Not a chance. But preparing for this, it's really triggered some stuff in me to think, huh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, it's just true. Our present knowledge and our prophecies are but partial. But when love's perfection arrives the partial will fade away. When I was a child, I spoke about childish matters, for I saw things like a child and reasoned like a child. But the day came when I matured and I set aside my childish ways. For now we see but a faint reflection of riddles and mysteries as though reflected in a mirror. But one day, we will see face to face. My understanding is incomplete now. But one day, I will understand everything, just as everything about me has been fully understood. That's a pretty hopeful line. Until then, there are three things that remain. Faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let agape, love, be the beautiful prize for which you run. How many of us can say love is a thing we're pursuing to understand and be more like? But but I'm trying to prepare my future and career and and I'm trying to, and you have your list and that person said this and they need to change first and oh my goodness, all the excuses that fade away when you just keep meditating on this. You'll have no more excuses anymore. All your petty excuses will fade if you're honest. This is powerful. This is a wake-up call to all of us. This is the foundation of our true identity. Psalm 23. I think somebody in this room really likes this psalm. Elizabeth. (laughs) But I've taken notice, because I read it a lot at funerals, I've taken notice as a an Old Covenant, Old Testament, there's a lens that I never saw before. Because at, you know, at one point I thought everything was equally true in the whole scripture. 
until I discovered covenants, that there's an old covenant and a new covenant. What? And what that meant, and most of us here in the room have really come through that and realized, wait a minute, they're not the same weight at all. But there's speckles of light in the old covenant that speaks to the new covenant. It still reveals a, a, a small sprinkle of light, even from an older covenant. Psalm 23 really is an others-centered psalm. You see, David, who wrote this, used to be a shepherd boy. He knew a lot about sheep. He knew that taking care of sheep was tiring, demanding. Um, he knew that sheep get in trouble all the time. They get their heads caught in burrs and get cuts and scrapes. And they're scared of everything, like rushing water, deathly afraid of that. They're picky eaters. Oh, wait, I think this is sound, starting to sound like parenting. Yes, it's very much like parenting. But the shepherd seeks to take care of the needs of the sheep. That's, that's sheep-centered, other-centered care. Even Joseph, in the Old Testament, when he had to go find his brothers who were taking care of sheep in a different place because they had to go find food for their flock, they have to take care of their sheep. In the same way, your Heavenly Father is caring for every one of your needs, whether you know it or are aware of it or not. So I want to walk through Psalm 23 just briefly and highlight some things that I thought were really cool about others-centered, agape love in this old ancient text. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Can you say that you have everything you need? You may have a lot more wants. Everybody does. But do you have everything you need? Can you say that? that that's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. He lets me rest in green meadows and leads me beside peaceful streams. You see, sheep are really scared of rushing water. A good shepherd will even carve out a small dam and create a pool of still water so that the sheep can drink from it and not be afraid. Even this green meadows, rest in green meadows, look, sheep are picky eaters, all right? They only want the good stuff. Goats will eat anything. Gone. Your greatest lawnmower of whatever. But sheep... They're picky, but they also have a better coat when they're rested. He renews my strength. Who does? The shepherd. How? By providing all the sustenance needed. The rest, the food, the care. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. All of us are being guided, whether we are aware of it or not, whether we believe it or not. There is guidance and wisdom coming to us at all times. Sometimes it's from people. Other times it's deep in your spirit and you just know it. You can't prove it. You can't explain it. It's sort of mystery, you know, what is going on. But all of us are being guided. Even when I walk through the dark valley of death, I will not be afraid, for you are close. Where? Beside me. It says walk through the dark valley of death. It does not say it's a dead end. Like in those old westerns where they all get trapped in the, in the shootout. <laughs> it's not like that at all. But there are valleys we are going to go through, and God's not absent from those valleys at all. Remember, God doesn't do abandonment. 
and he's with us, beside us. Sometimes people are way ahead and you can't catch up to those that you were respecting and trusting. And, but a shepherd is right in with. There's a connection, there's a closeness there. Your rod and staff protect and comfort me. Now that one was awkward for me growing up because spare the rod, spoil the child. Remember that one? How many remember that? My mom always, you know, she, she never spared the rod. I got marks to prove it. But the idea that the rod is used for hitting, because you can hear that in a couple other texts, not with sheep. A rod is not used to smack the sheep and beat them into submission. That's not part of shepherding. The rod is used to protect and, and ward away and fight off the attackers that may come. It's not for beating up sheep. God doesn't do that. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort. The staff is a guiding tool. It's a way to lead, kind of nudge. It's not for smacking, which is what my background would see. Many here, you haven't had the same background. But this psalm is powerful that way. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Even in a valley, if they're in that dark valley, you set up a good fire. You can probably see the eyes from the fire glittering in the eyes of the wolves or lion, whatever's ready to maybe try and attack, but he still feeds. There's, there's still the presence that whatever may be scary, Jesus, the shepherd, is still there with you through it all. You welcome me as a guest, anointing my head with oil. Do you ever treat your, well, I hate to say this, but because it's, it's true, but do you ever treat your family like um, very different than people in the community? <laughs> yeah, sometimes we do, because we have our own perspectives of long history, and then we judge. That's what's going on. We're actually judging them for past behaviors and patterns. As I say this, I'm speaking to me. Okay? But this anointing my head, this whole idea of a guest, you treat your guests when they come to your home well. You want everything to look good. If you ever need your house cleaned, invite someone over. That's how it works. So basically, the, you treat them well. You're, you're careful in public. But then when we get into our unguarded walls of our homes, sometimes we're not as loving. And that's where we need to be the most loving and kind. And then take a look at Corinthians 13 and go, <laughs> yeah. Anointing my head with oil. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. My cup overflows with blessings. You have everything you need. You lack nothing. When we feel we lack something, whether it's understanding, patience, knowledge, whatever it is, when we feel we lack something, we suddenly search for it, and all of our attention is driven to find those things, including love. If you don't feel loved, you're going to try to find ways to get loved or feel that. And often it goes to the wrong sources or coping mechanisms. But if we recognize we have been given everything we need for spiritual living, it's already in you. The powerhouse of God's power indwells you, lives in you. Well, 
Become aware of it. Learn to find out what that looks like inside you. First of all, believe it that it's true. Surely, goodness and unfailing love would pursue me all the days of my life. Goodness and unfailing love. I think in the uh, King James it says, uh, surely your what? Sorry? Goodness and mercy, yeah. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days. There it is. Shall follow me all the days of my life. Well, how many have ever followed your kid to school when they don't want to be followed? <laughs> I'm independent. I can go myself. So there's, there's a way to see these words, but when you see this word pursue, that's intentional. The Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus are pursuing each one of us with love, and they win. Every day of your life, you're being pursued. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Tremendous hope. This anoints my head with oil. I've, I've seen it two different ways. This is a text from something I found online. I edited a small part. It says, I wondered what this part of Psalm 23 meant. I thought he anoints my head with oil was a figurative language for God keeping the psalmist healthy. I never knew there were more ways to understand what could be going on. The first time I, I saw the, uh, started to understand and study this text, you know, the oil. What do we, we anoint with oil? You know, if you're in a conservative church, it's a little dab, a little dab will do. You know, <laughs> um, and then the idea of pouring oil on, like if we read the stories in the Old Testament of the prophets or kings being anointed, it says they poured oil on their head. Like that's that's weird. What about the clothes? Like I don't know. I just I thought of that as a kid. I said, what? They're gonna be so dirty. It's just really funny with the stuff I thought of. But there's a pouring going on. But initially, I thought the anointing was when there's a cut or a scrape, you put oil on because it's a healing thing. There's there's a healing element to the oil. So that's really good, because the pouring part didn't make sense until I found out more. And again, this is just one perspective, but the idea of pouring, like literally pouring, because apparently sheep have mites that can burrow into their skin and ears and really create tremendous discomfort and, and like anxiety, like brutally. And so the shepherd pours the oil on it soothes and repels those mites and bugs, those anguishes that happen, where? Around the head. Maybe we're having mental anguish. Maybe we can't understand what's going on. Maybe we're trying to get someone else to understand and we can't get them to understand creating anxiety, creating tension, and our hearts are broken. Maybe ask God to pour oil on you. You're not meant to handle all the pressures of life alone. And God will do it his way, their way, to you. Based on who you are and your connection at just the right time. May take longer than you think. It could happen right away. Who knows? When you sense the peace of Christ in you for any given situation, that's evidence 
of Christ in you. Pour, pour the oil. It's an act of love, other centered. The sheep can't do it. Maybe you can't do it. Oh, wait, you can't. Yeah, but I'm independent. And if anybody knows I have weaknesses, that'd be awful. Really? We need each other. That's why he put us together. That's why the church is so important. Not, not the church building, not going to church, not the typical traditional stuff. I'm talking about the body of Christ, each other. We need each other more than we've ever realized. And not to just correct our theology, <laughs> but to actually just love each other. <laughs> Something worth thinking about. We are encouraged to agape. We are encouraged to be others-centered in our love. Hebrews 10, 24, New Living Translation says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's a recommendation. You can call it a command. It's not a law. A law is something that you have to do. If you don't do it, you get punished. Commands are for your benefit. Encouragements are for your benefit, my benefit. Let's think of ways to motivate one another. The message translation says, let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. And I love the Passion Translation. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them towards acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. We don't do good works to make God happy. We do good works because it's in our DNA. That's what agape looks like. It's not for the appearance of anybody else. It's a beautiful text. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Wait a minute. I thought that would have been sin up here that says strip off every weight. You mean there's good things that can hold us back? Yep. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to you. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. How? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Oh, the faith that's been given to you, that is. Because faith is a gift. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And something hit me this week. Disregarding its shame. What do we do in our world? We avoid shame. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. Shameful. Oh, no, no. I mean, that's embarrassing. I'm not doing that. No, I, I'm not going to take that risk. No. And Jesus didn't care. He blasted through it. Took on the shame. Disregarded it. Took it on. That's very different. I just didn't see it until recently. That's love. That's other-centered love. That's agape. And all this, how do we strip off every weight? How do we get rid of that sin? How? Right here. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. 
He's the initiator, the beginner, the starter. He's also the, the power to do it. He's also the process. Oh, and he's also the end. How? Just by keeping your eyes on Jesus. It's not as complicated as we've been told. To love someone means to see them as God intended them. Ouch. Think about it. To love someone means to see them as God intended them. The beginning of love is to let those we love be perfectly themselves and not to twist them to fit our own image. Otherwise, we love only the reflection of ourselves we find in them. That's powerful. That's Thomas Merton. God's love is not a spigot that turns off and on based on your performance. It's a huge waterfall that just keeps gushing. To love someone is to learn the song in their heart and sing it to them when they've forgotten. Heavenly Father, will you process whatever was just shared? <laughs> That's a lot. Will you show each of us individually where you want to make some adjustments? Will you help us become willing <laughs> for, for us stubborn ones? I know your love will never stop. You'll never abandon us. And you are good. You're the good, good Father. Amen. I heard Baxter Kruger say something in a video recently, and um, he said, if, if, if God knows it's going to take you 150 tries or it's going to take 150 engagements with you for you to catch the revelation of his love or however he worded it, do you think God's going to get really upset when you're at number 37? No. 37K! 38's coming. Do you get it? God's not disappointed in you. At all. Disappointment has to do with expectations. <laughs> start to look closer at this God we say we believe in and start believing what God says about us, to us, and for us, and in us. And watch your life change and watch your thinking change. That's where it begins. I love it. All right. Thank you, everyone. That was... Intense for me.